his word will always take us back to the primary focus. The storyline of Genesis is God's unfolding plan to reconcile sinful man to himself. That's it. That's his plan. That's his plan from day one. Let's take a look at verse 5 and 6. Abraham's remarried. We don't know when he got remarried, but he keeps cranking the kids out. Verse 5 and 6, Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away, the sons of the concubines, from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. I don't know the significance to this. I would submit it to your further study. But east typically means away from God. In the Old Testament, typically it's away from God. Isaac is the son of promise. He inherited Abraham's wealth, and there is a lot of it. He inherited every bit of Abraham's wealth. Moms and dads, there's application all throughout this for parents. All throughout it. A wise father knows his kids and gives counsel before death. There is a friend of mine, Orly. Some of you know Orly. has gone through a rough spot. He's a little bit older than me, but he's making a video, and I think he got this from a movie. He's making a video for his kids to see when he's gone, to encourage them in their strengths, to warn them in their weaknesses. Inheritance. I've got another friend that his parents invited all three kids over one Saturday morning, and they went through everything in the house. They each had a number, one through three, and they put a sticker under each piece of furniture, every lamp, every, everything. And I can tell you that if some of us are getting older and if we leave our wills to chance, what we're saying is, kids, I don't really give a rip. You guys can duke it out when I'm gone. Okay, Abraham loved his boys enough, even though it was hard. And I'm, uh, even though it was hard, that he gave it all to Isaac. But I'm quite sure that he explained to the others why they got their gifts from the dollar store. But they had to go, they had to go east. Let's take a look at verse 7. Abraham's remarried. He was wise enough to make a last will and testament. Verse 7. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. A couple things that stand out here. First of all, is that this is a fulfillment of prophecy, that Abraham did live to an old age. And he died in peace, as it says in Genesis fifteen fifteen. Also, if you see something over and over again in the Bible, we need to pay attention. When, when I saw where Abraham was buried, it, I, it just, I, I pass over those kind of things. I mean, why does it matter to me where Abraham is buried? And it happens to be the same place that Sarah's buried. And it will be the same place that Isaac and Rachel are buried. And Jacob and Leah are buried. 
Well, we don't know for sure. I've seen a lot of commentators speculate on this. But remember who the primary audience was of Genesis. It's the Israelites. It's the Jewish people that need a lot of hope when they're wandering in the desert, when the Edomites are wanting to take them out, when they don't know if they will ever inherit this land. I've got to believe that there is some hope that comes from knowing that this plot of land that their ancestors are buried on and that it is somehow owned by the Jewish people. Also, Caleb and Joshua, I think, were they, when they spied on the, uh, the giants, you know where they were spying from? This burial spot. Now, I don't understand it, but here's what I know. It's mentioned over and over and over again in God's Word. And when something like that happens, there's, there's more for us to learn. You're just not going to learn it this morning. Both Isaac and Ishmael were at the funeral. Now, the best that I can tell from chapter 16 of Genesis, when, when Sarah wanted Hagar and Ishmael gone, she wanted them out. And Ishmael was 16 years old. Hagar and Ishmael left. This is the first time they've resurfaced. The best I can tell, it's been 75 years since Ishmael's been on the scene. 75 years. Now, I have no idea if Abraham communicated with them or if he had, like, visits on the weekend, but it was 75 years. These men, Isaac, who represents the Jews, and Ishmael, who represent the Arabs, will be against each other forever until the Lord comes back. The Jewish nation is represented by Isaac, the Arab nation by Ishmael. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go on. Abraham was 75 when he was called by the Lord to leave his family in Haran for the promised land and to receive the promise that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. He was 100 when Isaac was born. However, this completes the narrative on Abraham since chapter 11. The emphasis here is that it is closed. It's done. We're moving on to his kids, his grandkids, and his great-grandkids. Verse 11, after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And Isaac settled in Beer Lahairoi. Not only did Isaac inherit his dad's wealth, but he inherited what? The covenant blessings. He inherited the covenant blessings. That all the families of the earth will now be blessed, will continue to be blessed through the lineage of Isaac. Beer Lahairoi is another word that's mentioned time and time again. You, ever, you remember when Beer Lahairoi first showed up? It was in chapter 16. It's when Sarah booted Hagar out. Hagar was confused. She, was, she didn't think she'd done anything wrong. She cries out to the Lord, and who shows up? God Elroy, which means the God who sees. God saw her hurt, God saw her pain, and ministered, ministered to her in a very unique way. And Hagar called this place, Birlahiroi, the well of the living one who sees me. What it tells me is that Isaac is a man of faith, that Isaac is going back to the place where God is, 
where the God who sees first met Hagar. Now, there are some commentaries that say that that's where, where Isaac was when he was praying for a wife. I couldn't confirm that anywhere. So I submit that to your own, your own study. Okay, let's look at verses 12 through 18. Remember those ten, these are the generations of, these are the generations of creation, these are the generations of Adam. Remember that? Okay. This is one of those. These are the generations of Ishmael. And it is the shortest account in the entire Bible of all ten of them. It lasts for exactly six verses. In verses 12 to 18, we see the final and short account of Ishmael's life. And this, these names have very little importance in the rest of God's Word. Very little importance at all. The main thing to remember about Ishmael is that God fulfilled His promise to Abraham by making Ishmael fruitful and multiplying him greatly. He promised him 12 sons. And He promised him that He would be a great nation. And guess what? He became a great nation. That nation was called the Edomites. And the Edomites are going to cause all kinds of problems for the nation of Israel as we go through. He's going to, they're going to cause problems for Moses and the chosen people as they wander throughout the desert. And they're going to cause problems for David and his people for about two nanoseconds before David wipes 18,000 of them out. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Let's read this together. Give me grace on these names. Verse 12, these are the generations of Ishmael. Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore Abraham. These are the names of the sons Ishmael, named in the order of their birth. Naboth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kedar, Adbil, Midsom, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Jetur, Naphish, and Kedemah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are the names, these are their names by their villages and by their encampments. Twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all of his kinsmen. And the area he settled is still the place where most of the people of Arab descent are located today. And the important thing to remember about Ishmael is that the Arab people, which, by the way, Jesus shed his blood for, were not to have hate for a certain people group. But we do know, we're going to see, that, that many of the descendants were not God followers. And we do know that this group of people are going to set themselves against the Israelites. Let's move on to a more important generation. And this starts the birth of Esau and Jacob, verses 19 through 28. And this plays, understanding these next verses plays a critical role in introducing Isaac and Rebekah's twin sons. They become the central characters in chapters 25 through 36. This account of their birth anticipates future developments. Verse 19, these are the generations of Isaac. We've seen Isaac a little bit in the past, but now it's going to zoom in and see Isaac and his descendants. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean, Aramean, thank you, of Padam Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. 
Isaac gets married when he's 40 years old. We're going to see that Jacob and Esau were born when he was 60 years old. Just like his mother, his wife is now barren. She can't have kids. Just like Abraham and Sarah did, Jacob cries out, excuse me, Isaac cries out and says, Lord, please grant my wife kids. I am sure that Abraham and Sarah modeled this kind of faith, this type of prayer to his son. I'm quite sure of it. How could you live in a household of a man that walked by faith and not by sight and not learn how to walk by faith and not by sight? Isaac knew that his descendants would become a great nation. And through him, all the families of the earth would be blessed. So we prayed that the Lord would enable Rebekah to conceive so that the Lord's promise, prophecy would be fulfilled. Let me remind you, the purpose of prayer is not to get our will done in heaven. The purpose of prayer is not to, to negotiate or manipulate our will in heaven. It's to understand God's will and ask that that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's to get God's will done here on earth. True prayer is concerned about God's will. Now, it doesn't, there's a lot of things that we don't know. There's, there's things in, in, in the Bible that we know for sure that are God's revealed word, His revealed will. But there are other things that we just don't know. Healing, prosperity, miracles. How do we know if it's God's will? Well, if it's not in here, we ask Him, God, is this something you want me to be praying about? Is this something that, that you want? Would you show me if it's not? So Isaac had every right to pray that Rebekah would become pregnant. And I'm sure Isaac learned a couple of good lessons from observing his dad's life. As we already mentioned, Abraham modeled prayer. He modeled faith. He learned some positive things. I'm thinking that Isaac also learned from his dad's mistakes. Remember? Remember what happened? Abraham and Sarah were trusting the Lord for the promised son. What happened about halfway through? They took it into their own hands. Notice that Isaac does not do it this time. Isaac does not do what his dad did. He prayed and he trusted the Lord for 20 years. If we are certain, if we are certain, how often do we, when praying to the Lord, do we take things into our own hands? Lord, if it's, if it's your will that, that I sell this house, would you make it clear to me? Well, three hours go by and it's not clear to you. But you really want to move. Or, Lord... Would you make it clear to me if, if you want me to leave this rotten, stinking job that I hate? 30 minutes later, you're looking for a job. The point is, is if you ask with all your heart, he is going to show you. And, and in this microwave society that we're in, if we don't get prayers answered in, in 30 minutes, it's, it, we're done, aren't we? 20 years is how long Isaac... Rebecca waited. I want to read this to you. Um, 
As I was reading these verses, the Lord really encouraged me that even though my kids, I'm like three months away from empty nest, Nancy and I are, and most of the damage that is done is done, so to speak. So, you know, God's grace is always taken over, but it's going to really take over now, as if we had anything to do with it anyways. And parents, just like Abraham and Sarah, they were people like you and I. Yes, they, they, were, they were holders, they were owners of the promise, but they had a call to raise their kids up in the way of the Lord, that their kids were watching them. And I want to read this to you. And can I, just a disclaimer, um, I hate country music. And this is a country song just because most of the country songs are the ones that talk about bad stuff. Did I offend anybody, Dean? This is actually... Uh, a, well, what are you talking about? How do I understand that when they're singing like that? <laughs> I'm going to get this chew out of my mouth. Uh, Rodney Atkins. I don't know, is he a real cowboy? Here it is. Driving through town, just my boy and me, with a Happy Meal in the booster seat. Knowing that he couldn't have the toy till his nuggets were gone, a green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and mumbled under my breath. His fries went a-flying, and his orange drink covered his lap. Well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word. It started with us, and I was concerned. So I said, son, now where'd you learn to talk like that? Here's the chorus. He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you. And eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. We got back home and I went to the barn. I bowed my head and I prayed real hard. I said, Lord, please help me. Help my stupid self. Just this side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight. He crawled out of bed and he got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes, folded his little hands, spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where'd you learn to pray like that? He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding Mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, Dad, ain't we? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. With tears in my eyes, I wrapped him in a hug. Said, my little bear is growing up. And he said, but when I'm big, I still know what to do. Because I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo, and I want to be like you. And eat all my food and grow. It goes on and on. Like most country songs. <laughs> and <laughs> it's bitterness. It's my childhood. I figured you did. You know, when I, when I read this to Nancy this morning, I, uh, I actually started crying on a stupid country and western song. But here it is. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. We know the storyline of the Bible. Let me bring it back to focus. And that's that, that sinful humans, us, deserved an eternity separated from God. And the storyline of the Bible is that God made man in his image and desires a relationship with us. 
And then he made a plan to reconcile us. And he picked a special group of people, starting in chapter 11, to bring forth the one that would crush the serpent's head, to bring forth his Messiah. And there's application for us on how to live, how to be moms and dads, how to be friends. Let's go to the next verse. Chapter 22, or verse 22. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your, in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Okay. Rebecca is in a lot of pain. And ladies, we know what it's like to be in pain, don't we? I mean, you know what it's like to be in pain, don't you? <laughs> But this was a different type of pain. This was, there was something going on in her that it literally, the Hebrew for struggled is, is to crush or oppress. There was such pain going on inside her, such wrestling that she couldn't stand it, that she cried out, if, if it is thus, if this is the promised child, why? Why do I have this much pain? Why is this happening? You think it's okay for her to, to question the Lord? Absolutely it is. There's things that happen in our life that we don't understand. And it is okay to say, God, why? Why are you allowing this in my life? Here's where it crosses the line, though. crosses the line is to stay mad at God. Because Romans 8.28 says what? That God works all things for good for those who love Him or are called according to His purpose. And we're going to see this in a real way. She cried out to God and said, why is this happening? And you know what? She didn't get the answer that she was looking for. She got an answer that I'm quite certain caused her more pain, emotional pain, than the physical pain could have ever caused. He says, there's two nations in your womb and two peoples from within you, your dear boys. They will be divided, and they will be divided forever. Moms, can you think of worse news than that? If somebody were to tell you that your kids that are in your womb will be bitter enemies for the rest of their lives. That's not the news she was looking for. That did not comfort her. But I will tell you, sometimes I was talking to a brother this morning that he's been trying to get a job. I'm going to just tell you, Steve McBurney. I asked him if I could use this. And a company that he has been waiting for the phone call to get an interview He's been waiting for that phone call. He got the phone call Friday morning, but it wasn't the phone call he was looking for. The phone call said, hey, we have you at an interview at 8.30 this morning. Where are you? Months he's been waiting. He said, I don't understand. He says, I talked to the HR person, and she gave me this date and that date, and she was going to call me back. Well, it turns out that, that, that this person sent an email, and Steve's email was down, so he never got it. So Steve, Steve, with a smile like only Steve can do, he says, I know the Lord's going to work good out of this. He's got another interview. And that's the same thing that's happening right here, is that Rebecca does not see the good in this. She doesn't see the good. I don't know how she could. But we can see the good in it as we look back. Because it's bringing forth, it's saying here that the two peoples in there, the two kids in there will be divided, and one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. 
Here's what happens. The nation of Israel is the younger. The younger shall serve the older. The nation of Israel is the younger. The nation of the Edomites is the older. Anybody can raise their hand anytime I say something wrong because I'm going to get some of these terms wrong. Here's what was happening. Remember who this original audience is? Moses is writing to who? The nation of Israel. They're wandering in the desert. They come out of Egypt, and the first no trespassing sign they get to is who owns that land? The Edomites do. The Edomites are the descendants of Esau. The Israelites are the descendants of Jacob. Jacob is the younger brother. The older brother eventually is going to serve the younger brother. The Edomites eventually are going to serve who? The Israelites. So they get to the, the Israelites are wandering. They just get to the no trespassing sign. The Edomites are standing there. They're going to take them out. So the Israelites go around. And then Moses reads them this story, tells them the narrative of what went on in this birth, and they get hope from this because they know that eventually they will prevail. And if they prevail, we are grafted in. That means that we prevail. That the nation of Israel is ultimately us. That we have been grafted in. That we've been adopted. And that we will, we have, we will conquer. <sighs> in 2 Samuel 8, David, who is a descendant of, of Jacob, who is a younger brother, comes across the Edomites. Tens of thousands of them. He wipes 18,000 of them out. And you know what the rest of them do? They serve him. That the older brother is now serving the younger brother. The last known Edomites. Anybody know who it is? Raise your hand if you do. Last known Edomite going once. I don't either. No, it's, it's Herod and his family. The last known Edomite is Herod. Herod. Herod is from, is from the line of Edom. Herod is, wipes out every Jewish boy. You know why? He's looking to wipe out the king of who? The Jews. It doesn't work. That lineage disappears. They're a non-factor today. Praise be to God. The other thing we need to reconcile in this verse is God chose one seemingly in the womb. You see, in this culture, it was the younger that always served the older. Okay? It's the, it's the older that got double inheritance. Those of us that are reading through the prodigal son right now, we've been reminded of that, aren't we? That the older son usually gets double inheritance. And so this was a strange prophecy to Rebekah saying that your younger son will rule over your older son. And, and we need to reconcile this, folks. That God would make this decision before, before either of them had an opportunity to be obedient. Blows me away. It's a doctrine, quite frankly, that I keep, I keep just doing this. I don't like to look at it. And I was forced this week 
One of the things we do at Windsor Community Church is we teach what's called expositionally. What expositionally means is that we don't typically grab a topic and find Scripture to support it. Whatever comes up in the Word, in the passage that we're teaching, we're confronted with it, and we need to understand it. So this was, if nothing else, this was God's grand plan for me to confront this doctrine of election. How is it that before they did anything good or bad, that God made a decree that the older will serve the younger? And to understand the ramifications of that, that one generation, the older generation, would actually vanish and the other generation would, would rule the earth. Why did God do that? Our greatest error in considering the choices of God is to think God chooses for arbitrary reasons. As if he were some kind of eeny, meeny, miny, mo God. I may not be able to, you may not be able to fathom God's reasons for choosing. And their reasons that he alone knows. But he's a sovereign God. Next Sunday, for the two of you that will be here, three maybe, I, I don't know if there's a more important message than I've ever been a part of. And maybe it's just because of what the Lord's doing in my heart right now, but we're, we're going to examine Romans 9, Ephesians 1 next week. We cannot go past this because we're going to be confronted again in Genesis 27. And we need to understand God's sovereign grace. So we're going to devote an entire Sunday to it. Can I encourage you that if you're not here, um, we'll provide some, some uh, not that I've got anything great to say, but this passage has a lot for all of us. And we'll provide uh, DVDs or CDs, nobody wants to see my face, uh, for you in the back the following week. Okay, let's finish up these final few verses. And then uh, we'll move on. Verse 24. When her days to give birth were completed, when the babies were born, behold, there were twins in her womb. So let me say that again because they're not born yet. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. Little Esau was covered with hair, and so appropriately they called him Harry, which is really Hebrew for Esau. Later his name, as we're going to see in the next chapter, changes to Edom, which is Hebrew for red. In the culture, what they would do oftentimes when a baby was born, when something was going on around them or something they saw, they would name the kid after that. So he was Harry and red. If he was born today... Elmo. I just could not get that picture out of my head. That's just right. Jacob. Jacob had a hold of Esau's heel when he was coming out. And that Jacob means heel catcher. It means supplanter. It means cheater, deceiver. 
interesting names for the one that will carry on the lineage of, of the coming Messiah. Supplanter. So Jacob, and we're going to talk more about this. So Jacob and Rebekah went 20 years without any children. 40 when he was married, 60 before the children were born. We're going to just take a brief look at the last, last two verses today, or verse 27 and 28. The boys grew up. Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Esau loved Jacob because he ate of his game, and Rebekah loved Jacob. Folks, this is the chosen family to bring forth the Messiah. And can I tell you, this is one dysfunctional family. One dysfunctional family. The father loves one son, the mother loves the other. Before they're even born. Now, they're really starting to take sides because Esau was a skillful hunter. Esau could kill it and grill it. His dad, he was a man's man. He was probably the type of guy that in, if he was here today, he'd drive a Ford F-150. Jacob, on the other hand, is a cook. Guys, it's okay to be a cook. But I get the impression that he's mama's boy. He's mama's boy. And I've got to tell you, first blush, I'm thinking, you know what? If Esau's here today, him and I are going shooting. Him and I are going to go to the batting cage. We might go to the driving range. We might eat some bratwurst together. And Jacob would probably be helping with the paint colors in the new worship center. (laughs) Here's what I want to tell you, though, and we're going to see more of this, is that I already told you what happens to Esau, didn't I? It's the line of the Edomites. And it it is a line of people that set themselves against the Israelites. Just a thought that is, guys, as some of us are kind of men's men, we like ultimate fighting. I'd be doing that with Esau. We'd be doing, Stan, you and I and Esau, man, we'd be doing the MMA stuff, Smackdown, Humble's House. But you can't tell on the outside. Only God knows what's going on in the heart. And Jacob, as we're going to see at an early age, loved the Lord. Esau never Never loved the Lord. And God knew that from the beginning somehow. And we're going to take a look at that next week as we look at Romans 9 and Ephesians 1. And I can tell you, it's the theological deep end. It's about 15 feet deep. I'm about 5 foot nothing. And I'm way over my head. First of all, I'm not a very bright guy. I'm not seminary trained. But I trust God's word. And we need, we need to confront it. And we need to look at it straight on. Sounds dangerous? Count me in. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we just we praise you. You are awesome. We thank you for your plan to redeem us. We thank you that your ways are not our ways. We thank you that, that you do work all things for good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Lord, we thank you for just the examples you give us in Scripture, the hope that we get in seeing different people in Scripture stumble as they try to walk in obedience to you. We thank you for the life of Abraham. 
We thank you for the months that you allowed us to spend in Genesis, what you've taught us. And God, we want to be a people as individuals, as families, as a church that walks by faith and not by sight. God, it is so hard to do that in this country. God, it is so hard to walk by faith. God, would you do whatever you need to to cause us to get out of each of our comfort zones? And each of our comfort zones are different. Only you know. And God, would you bring us to a point at the edge of that cliff where the next step we are out of control and that the only one that can catch us, that can lead us, that can guide us, that can save us is you. And that we'd be in a place where we can't depend on our own so-called knowledge, our own so-called understanding of the future. God, bring us to where you want to bring us. Lord, as we jump into the Word next week in Romans 9, I just pray that this week that, uh, Lord, I just pray that, that each of us would just join in in examining those verses. Father, that you'd break about, apart our paradigms, that you'd cause us to love you more deeply by going deeper into your Word. And Lord, we thank you that you loved us first. It's because you loved us first that we can love you. We thank you and we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.